Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm your host. I'm only as hip as my guests, and I'm very excited to have my uh, guest on today. It's funny. It's weird how I get guests sometimes. I was I posted about the show Snowfall, which she is on. We'll talk about that later. And then my friend Rose Abdu sat there and mentioned her name on my Facebook wall. And then my guest was nice enough to respond to everybody who made comments. And I said, hey, you should come on my show. So we have Judith Scott. How you doing, Judith? I'm good today, thanks. Today? Has it been a, has it been a rough week or what's going on? No, you know, it's a day-to-day thing. It's, it's crazy. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's all good, though. So, so now... We talked briefly before. You, you grew, you've grown up all over the place, um, growing up in the military. Uh, when, at what point did you decide that you wanted to get into acting? I mean, was that at a young age, or, or how did you uh, end up coming into this career? Um, I, I, I believe that my, my grandparents were performers. They sang in the countryside in Georgia, and uh, there was a little bit of theatricality in my, in my grandfather and his wife. Uh, probably not uh, a professional pursuit, but more like that was their personality. And my mother picked up on that, and she was a kind of semi-famous, highly lauded singer in her little town in Tennessee, award-winning. And uh, when she left there, she got into amateur theater, and I sort of spent my early years uh, running through the uh, aisles and backstage of theaters. So... I didn't really learn that I had grown up that way until much, much later in my life, uh, which, you know, explained why I love the theater. Now, I guess being around it, of course, you know, in Pant brings it into you, but also you said you moved around a lot. So do you think, and I've talked to a lot of people who have been, you know, children of the service or, or have moved around a lot. I think a lot of them end up sometimes getting into this field or entertainment because Eventually, when you're moving to a different city or town a lot, it's almost like an audition process when you go to a new school. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. You definitely, I mean, I was definitely having to put on a lot of different masks. You know, I I was born in the South. We spent the first seven years. Well, um, right after I was born, we went to Germany. So there was a lot of performing there. Even though I was a little person, I was aware that my mother was performing you know, as a as a young black woman in the early 60s in Germany, having to, you know, and, and we were in officers' um, uh, uh, mess halls and, you know, that sort of thing. So we were sort of thrown up into a next level situation really, really early. And I think I just picked that up. I just learned how to change my voice. I learned how to change my appearance. I learned how to observe other people's behavior and try to uh, fit in as as quickly as possible. I went to five high schools. So every year of my high school um, career, I was having to be in a different place, a completely different place. And um, it's just how I learned to get along. Yeah. It must be. It must be uh, something. I mean, going from school to school. I mean, I've grown up in the same school system. I'm actually. I moved back to where I grew up recently, and but it must. Yeah, it must be something. Especially in the high school years, when you're, you know, you you finally make a friendship, then you have to leave. And so mm-hmm. now, when did now when you got out of high school, did you decide to go to college, or I know you went to Second City. What did you? What were your plans when you got out of high school? Did you know what you wanted to do, or were you like most of us who really don't really know what we want to do? You know what? I think I've always just been an actor. I've always been a performer. It's just how I survived. And um, I was very witty and I could mimic people. Uh, When I got out of high school, I spent a year out of college. I I stayed away from college for a year, um, probably because I was scared to leave my mom. Uh, But I did know that I wanted to be a performer. There was a moment where I, I, I was seriously considering going to Gallaudet, which is the um, school for um, uh, for the deaf and to learn sign language. That was very interesting to me. I was very interested in languages. Uh, I was also interested in studying French and becoming an interpreter for the UN. I mean, I had like real massive <laughs> giant ambitions for myself, um, but I just got into the old Jangity Skangity theater. Now, how did you end up at Second City? 
That was pure kismet. My mom and I were out at a Taste of Chicago, I think, and we were walking home. Uh, I, I don't know. We were walking to a bus stop, I guess, and I had to use the bathroom, and we saw this place, didn't know it, walked in. It was cold, dark, but open, and uh, I heard a lot of laughter. I came out, and I put my head inside of a room and watched people up on stage, and I thought, oh, my God, I could do that. And the next year, I was on. Uh, I was one of three people out of 300 uh, people to get hired. Now, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that was it, really. Very simple. I, I went in there to use the bathroom, and, and that, that changed my life. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it's so funny. And the one thing I've always noticed, I've had a ton of Second City people on here, and I've always noticed the one thing is that all of them work, and I think it's just because they have such a strong camaraderie, and I found out that there's not, I mean, maybe on stage, you know, because you have to learn improv to share and give, but I've heard that everyone really helps each other out, and they're all just so talented. I mean, for you, so when you when you got in Second City, did you go on the traveling team first, or did you go into Toronto, or how did you start getting on stage there? I was in the touring company, and uh, there, there was talk that they wanted to put me on the main stage, but I was an incredibly green uh, performer. I had never improvised before. I mean, formally, I'd never been trained. Uh, I actually, um, I actually started taking classes there and then I auditioned and, uh, I, I just didn't, I had, I'll be very honest with you. I had no clue. I had no idea who people were. I didn't know what the rules of the game was. I didn't know what the history of the place was. That's kind of how it's been in my life just because I, I never really learned how to connect in a very genuine way with the world, you know? I was sort of showed up performing in the world. So when I got to Second City, I just did what the monkeys did. I just did whatever they did, I did it. And um, it was sometimes very successful and, uh, and then sometimes not successful at all. But um, I did get into the touring company, I think, for about a year. And then I managed to get into Second City with Jeff and Jane Machowski in the back, uh, Jane Morris and Jeff Machowski. And after, I think, a year there, I was put on the main stage with um, Chris Farley, um, Tim Meadows, uh, Joel Murray, Dave Pesquese, Joe Liss, and um, Holly Wartell. That was my company. That's such a big uh, thing getting on the main stage. I heard when you're in the touring company, I've heard stories where it's like you'll go from having this wonderful show in front of, you know, a bunch of people to like a bar mitzvah in a basement. I heard the touring company is very, you really learn your uh, your craft because you're always, you have to work it. You never know what your crowd's going to be. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have that kind of awareness or consciousness. I just had a gig and I was happy to, to, to be on the road. It was, it fit right into my uh, my lifestyle as a as a as a child of a soldier um, and and it, it, it wasn't uncomfortable to me to ride around in a van and and go and perform that's what I had always done you know only this time I was getting paid and um, I don't think we ever did a bar mitzvah ever all right <laughs> now, now, when you're on the uh, main stage, did you start to think about moving to L.A., or what was your mindset at that point? No, you know, listen, I I have just always been kind of fortunate in my career. It, it took me probably until my early 40s to actually decide that I was an, an actor and be a professional actor, and I started studying at that time. But in I would say from the time I got into Second City until my 40s, I just was kind of tossed around by fate, and um, by the time I got on, on the main stage, I mean it was such a it was such a strong company. The men were very very strong, and we worked with incredible directors, uh, notorious directors, um, and I had no dreams really. I, I didn't have any ambitions for anything. I just was kind of going along with things. I was getting phone calls from from L.A. as well, you know, uh, from um, Bill Cosby's crowd and um, oh, what's this? What's this, this woman? Uh, uh, can't remember her name. The I can't remember her name. I don't know. Anyway, I can't... Her right team. This one. 
uh, it was a writing team. They had permission for uh, of the guy who had the dummy on his lap. I'm not sure. Oh my God! It's a. He was an old performer in the '40s. He he had a little doll dummy. He was sort of a ventriloquist, and his daughter went on to be a famous actress. Edgar, ah, Edgar Bergen. Murphy's Lo- oh, Murphy Brown. Murphy, not Candace Bergen. Edgar Bergen. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, Edgar Bergen. Exactly. So the creators of her show, they were calling me as well. So I was getting phone calls from these people to come out. I was terrified. I had no idea what these people wanted. I didn't even know much about L.A. I was a really green person. I, I mean, I lived an incredibly sheltered life inside the military, but I was always sort of going out and performing when I was in school or with my friends. But that, that was really the extent of it. My My sense of of wanting to be something more just wasn't really that developed. You know, I didn't have any aspirations, you could say. All of that came to me in my 40s. And by that time, I was well out of Second City and very, very far away from improv- improvisation and very interested in the craft of acting. That's that's really my my love and my passion. And I would say, honestly, that saved my life in many ways. It, it, um, it helped me... It helped me develop develop the sort of more immature parts of myself, you know, and I and I've been fortunate enough that I didn't have to do it publicly. <laughs> right. So. Now, now, when you started taking acting, when you said when you became you, you know, you know, it was your passion, passion in your forties. How do you find a teacher when you've already, you know, have done Second City, you've been taught by great people? How did you go about finding a teacher that you thought would be good for you and jive with you? Did you have to do a lot of uh? When you go and sit in a class, or did you get people recommended you, or how did you find a teacher that you felt comfortable with? Well, by the, I, I ended up in Second City in Toronto for three years, and I did a couple of big shot uh, Hollywood movies, and the directors of those movies recommended strongly that I come to L.A., and so they hooked me up with uh, agents down here, and the agents were recommending teachers, and the teachers I was going to basically told me I wasn't an actor. I mean, they basically dismissed everything I'd ever done in Second City. They took none of it seriously. They could they could have cared less, and um, uh, that wasn't humbling. It was it was demoralizing. So I eventually ended up with people who would take me. <laughs> I mean, if I'm really honest about it, I just started studying with people who would take me, and um, a couple of my teachers, uh, my early teachers, were very patient and loving with me because I had a lot of I had a lot of defenses you know uh, and they were very patient and um, and gave me a lot of work that would gently remove those those masks that I had developed and then eventually I started studying with a man named Larry Moss about eight years ago who has just been one of my greatest teachers in life ever and uh, he has helped helped me form the comedic side of me, the the dramatic side of me, the tragic side uh, of my whole craft. And uh, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it's interesting the way you're, you're asking the questions. And maybe I'm just, I don't know, I have always just felt like a, a player. I never felt like somebody who was going to be a superstar. So I, I always felt fortunate at the end of the day that somebody actually wanted to, to have me in their class. And, and by the time I got to Larry Moss, it took me years to actually hear him say, you could do anything. You need to be on Broadway, you know? And, um, and I, and I guess I'm just starting to bloom into that notion now that, that I could do anything. I'm a slow starter. Yeah, but you, I mean, you're looking at your, you know, your IMDb. I mean, you've worked a lot and you've worked on some great shows. So, I mean, it's, it's something that the talent's there. I mean, you know, people recognize your talent in different levels and at different stages in their life. But, you mm-hmm. know, the, the talent's there or else you would not have worked for so long. And, uh, so true. What, what are, I mean, when you started off, I mean, you know, when did you start feeling in the TV? When did you start getting booked on TV shows that you felt that, you know, this is something, you know, that I'm, I'm good at? Uh, when I got here from uh, Canada, I had a nice little uh, television resume. They did RoboCop up there, and I did a Christmas movie, and I did a lot of work up there. Um, 
And by the time I got here, my resume was good enough and strong enough to get me into certain rooms. Uh, I would say probably by by 2001 or 2002, I started doing projects and I really started to look around at projects that I wanted to be a part of or was hopeful that, you know, I could get called in on. And, um, yeah, uh, and, and, and I would say now I'm really looking at, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I, I can't say that I'm being particular, although quiet and, quietly and secretly I am being kind of particular. I, I, I would like to be associated and affiliated with really great projects and, um, I would, I would like to be able to express all parts of myself as an actor, you know, um. I hope I just answered your question. No, you did. It's just it's funny because as I said, I look at it, you know, like you were on CSI, which, you know, is a legendary show and you had recurring on that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went, I've, I've talked to so many actors who have recurred in roles where they've always, they've gone in and it's supposed to be a one and done pretty much. But then they call back. Like when you went for that role, do you remember, was it something that you thought was just going to be a one day gig and then you end up getting, I mean, you were on six episodes. Did that, you know, does that do something for your confidence too when they call you back? Oh no, that was a confidence killer right there. I got fired from that job. Um, when I when I auditioned for it, the director uh, told me that he didn't think the thing would go, and we all know that's not true. And uh, he said, "Well, this will be really great for your bank account, but it's not going to go. It's a cute little show. Who wants to watch procedurals about <laughs> you know about people being murdered and investigated?" Uh, and um, they were very happy uh, with me for the most part, but I had never done anything like that in my life. And that kind of language, that kind of circumstance was was really challenging for me, especially coming out of a place where I was, you know, pretending to be a cop. This 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 was a next level situation. And it had um, Bill Peterson in it, who was an amazing uh, acting partner, an incredible acting partner. Uh, yeah, but after six episodes, I was I was uh, soundly marched off that show, and I'm and I'm grateful to be very honest. Um, I think the death of a lot of actors' careers is is procedurals, and um, because you get into a rote situation uh, to the point that people are, uh, you know, they're just sort of saying their lines, and um, and there's nothing happening. No. So you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm very grateful that I got. Uh, fired from that show. It gave me an opportunity to explore more of myself, and I just didn't get known as the girl on CSI. I think that's a, that's a great uh, viewpoint because you're right. You know, you, a lot of people after a while it has to get a little bit flat. That's why you know so many shows will change casts. But as a as, as you know, is that being a break for you when you left? Looking back for it now, you say you're thankful for it. But when you said then it was a confidence break or when it happened, how do you rebound from something like that? I mean, in, in all honesty, I know, you know, you're, you, you never wanted to be a star. You wanted to act. So you were, you knew you were going to get other roles, but how does one psyche rebound from a situation when it's, it's, it's not working and you thought, you know, it might. Oh, that's a really good question. And I have to say, I'm probably the queen of rebound. You know, I mean, one of the things somebody said years ago, Harry, uh, encourage you to death in in um, in this city. And a lot of the yeses mean no. And I got told no a lot. And uh, I did I did a lot of therapy. I did a lot of body work and I took a lot of classes. I worked very hard on on developing myself and getting deeper in my own psyche and my own craft and uh i i i took my disappointments and my demoralization and my weakened self-esteem and i took that to acting class and i just hammered myself flat in those classes in order to you know to to recognize that it wasn't personal and and i think that's that's just part of uh self-development uh, is to get stronger inside myself and know that uh, that for every no, every 10 no's, there's a big yes. And I got a bunch of big yeses in the early 2000s. I think I did like three feature films and uh, Dexter. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, my work ethic is pretty strong and, and 
and I can be demoralized and disappointed, but I, I learned from a fantastic uh, shrink named Phil Stutz. He, he and uh, one of his writing partners have come out with a book called The Tools, which I highly recommend. And, um, and they talk a lot about taking uh, so-called losses and turning them into magical powers. And so um, that work saved me, too. Now, when you were going, you know, in the when the early 2000s, you know, before Dexter, even with Dexter, then you had Cold Case, which is a show I love, and a bunch of shows and the different features. What was your take on the difference between being on a TV set and being on a movie set? I always like to ask actors what they think the difference is. Is it is a TV set more high pressure? Is the movie set more laid back? I know it changes all the time. But what were your experiences between the two? <laughs> Well, I think it's a little bit more distinctive than that. I would say the difference between being on an all-white set versus an all-black set is the difference between day and night, literally. I mean, I worked on Guess Who with Bernie Mac and Ashton Kutcher and Zoe Saldana, and I was fourth lead on that, and it was a party every day. It was so much fun. It felt like a big family just coming together for barbecues, and every once in a while we'd make a, you know, shoot a scene. And, and so that was very relaxed and has been my experience on a lot of black sets. I, I worked with um, Tyler Perry in Georgia on, on one of his shows. And that, that, those situations are just, I don't know, there's just a lot more laughter. And the work, I think, is, is just as good uh, versus being on an all-white set. And, and, you know, that could be just me. I think I'm savvy enough to feel the distinction in terms of uh, in terms of race. There's just a little bit more um, laughing and smiling and openness on a on a on a black television show and or a black film. <laughs> that you know now, do you think it's just because you know a lot of uh, the executives are white and a lot of the executives really don't know the business and they're very uptight. Do you think that may be one of the reasons, or do you just think it's just because it's just got a laid-back feeling? And, of course, you know, working with, you know, on, you said with Bernie Mac, and, I mean, that's just, you know, that must have been a blast. But, uh, what, I mean, why do you, what do you think that is? I mean, why do you think there is that difference? And it makes sense because, you know, as I said, it's I've worked when I did stand-up comedy. I worked with black comics, and I worked with white comics. And the black comics were were chill they were like fun to hang out with and some of the mm -hmm. white guys were uptight and i think and the crowds where it was a black crowd hey if they didn't like you you were done but if they liked you were you, you were, if they liked you they went nuts and a white crowd mm -hmm. was just the moderate across the middle basically we laugh at a you know from us four to six and the african-american crowd would laugh from either a boo to a 10 what do you what mm -hmm. do you think why do you think the sets are different like that do you think it's because it's just an uptightness and of the industry I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I would say that there's a, there's a kind of seriousness in white productions, and I hate, to sound, I hate saying this, but this has just been my experience, and I've worked on a lot more white sets than black sets. But I have to say I feel incredibly comfortable on black sets, and I didn't grow up around black people. I grew up around white people. So you would think that I would be, you know, really well-adjusted on white sets. But there's just something about this, this self importance or the super seriousness of white sets uh, I don't know what it is I and I did have the good fortune of working with Bernie Mac twice actually I worked on his television show uh, and I think when you're working with a black comedian maybe it's a trickle-down thing where they they get to have the the dominant personality on the set and uh, I've you know I, I've been able to work with Will Smith also a super chill super fun set I, I think those guys just take command of the environment and they give the personality their personality to the set they are personable they're warm to the crew they're you know playing games with the crew they're handing out water there's just a more intimate familial uh feeling around them uh they don't cordon themselves off and sit in a corner with their entourage you know, it's just uh, just more open somehow. And not to mention they're so damn talented. So that always helps when they're very yeah. confident. Their confidence is, you know, they they have a confidence in their act and themselves, and they're not worrying because they know if something happens, someone else is going to hire them because that's how good, you know, they are. 
or or that they know that they've worked hard enough and they've done enough miles out, out, out you know in clubs or or in the music business or whatever that they're they're not as as much as they may take themselves seriously in terms of their craft I think that the situation in itself, they recognize, I think that they create the circumstances for them to perform well. And that means that it's an audience for them. You know what I mean? Right. That, that, that the crew is their audience and that the producers is, is, is their audience and, and that they, they develop something that is most familiar to them. And that creates a, a warmer, kinder set somehow. It's, it's really, it's really fantastic. Uh, we had a, um, <laughs> We had a, a, a an opening night party for a snowfall, and uh, the music was lit. The food was amazing. People were dancing. I took a friend. I dropped him off. He said that was so much fun. He goes, "Why was that so much fun?" I said, "Because it was black people." <laughs> He's like, "Right." <laughs> it's funny. That's huh? why it was fun. <laughs> now. I want to ask you about when you're on Dexter. Uh, that show is, you know, a, a cult classic. I mean, not everybody watched it. It wasn't for everyone's taste, but the people who watched it loved it. When you're on a show like that that has such a, a devout following, I know you're on five or six episodes, did you start getting recognized because of that show? And what was your experience on that show? Once again, oh, yeah. once again, you did an episode, I believe, in 2006, and you came back for a few more. Was that a you thought was going to be a one-and-done or was that one where they said, "Hey, we like this character. We're going to bring her back." No, I knew I knew it was going to be a recurring, and I knew that they had probably six or seven in the can for me. I knew that that was the case. But when I when I got signed off, uh, yeah, I was in, I was recognized immediately, and it was funny because I was traveling a lot at that time. Like afterwards, I was going to places. I was going to like I don't know London and Italy and. Um, and people were recognized, people who didn't, I didn't speak, I didn't speak their language, they didn't speak my language, and they would run up to me in the airport and ask for my autograph. And, uh, and it was primarily because of that show. Um, that show did very well uh, all over the world. Yeah. Now, as again, you've, you've had a, a great uh, run on these uh, network shows you know i mean you, you did csi miami you did, and then you were on castle what was your experience on castle because once again that had a that has a huge following people love that show it was on for so long what's it like being an actor going onto a show that has been on for a while is it is it hard is it did it make you feel like back when you were in school in high school going to that third school in three years or fourth school when you go <laughs> yeah. I mean does that is that has that helped you when you go on a set because everyone I've talked to says when you go on a set you know sometimes there's great sets but sometimes there's sets where you walk in and it's like you're the kid visiting and and, and, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's hard and you have to try to get that that approval just because you want to do a good working environment and it's the same thing where they know you're good else you wouldn't be there but what's it like going on a show that's been around for so long i guess the crew is sort of laid back because they know they're coming back next season so production's easier yeah you know i think all sets have their own personality and i do think it comes down from the leads because the leads are the most consistent people and if the leads are cranky and bored and snippy and snotty then the set is not going to be that much fun um that was an amazing set they had a fantastic uh um ad who between takes played you know uh oldies uh soul music and it was just jumping. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And all the leads were amazing and very kind. Uh, and I've been on sets that were the complete opposite. I've been on sets where, where, where the two leads are literally on the uh, grass, screaming into their phones at, you know, two separate producers ab- about each other, you know, like ready to go fisticuffs. So I-, I think those things have their own personality, but I do think that they come from the leadership Uh Phil Stutz, uh, who wrote The Tools, talks a lot about uh, the in, in eternal sunshine, which is, you know, somebody who is a leader is kind of put in a position of being eternally sunny, you know, and that is somebody who is just continually warm, continually humble, you know, shining their light on everybody. And, 
you know, you've got sets where people, uh, you know, grips are checking in on you and they know your name and uh, they're asking if you ever heard of this song or they've made a CD for you. Like there are sets that are like that. And those are, those are the most fun. I'm always going to be the new girl. That's just in my DNA. And uh, I've just learned how to not uh, be the sort of introverted new girl or the overly extroverted new girl. I've sort of just balanced that out, you know, and just go in and be a professional. <laughs> well, how does, how does being a professional also, I mean, and that's, that's, you know, that's what we all strive for. But like you said, when the, the, the stars are yelling on their phone at the producers and if you go onto a set that sort of feels like it's uh, like you're walking on eggshells, how do you how do you act to that? I had a guest on and she was I just got done an episodic as a guest star and she said the director almost had her in tears and everyone was walking around in in mm. eggshells. How do you deal with that as a as an actor? I know it's your job, but if if you know if you go to a job as a cook and the rep manager is screaming at you it's it's not going to be accepted usually because you can't act that way but hollywood's different how do you as a professional deal with it when there when there does feel like there's eggshells because you have to bear your soul and act and you're a pro- and you you know are really a professional and you you study how do you how do you trans- transcend to that level when there's all that stuff going on yeah, that's it's it's probably a case to case situation. I I've been on sets where I've been uh, somebody's put their hands on me and shoved me off my mark, uh, a, a crew person, and I just took it straight to the producers and then was you know met with everybody for a profound apology because you know nobody wants to get a lawsuit, um, and I wasn't even thinking in those terms, but that that situation was incredibly disturbing. Um, and uh, I think for me, if, if it's just a, a gig for a day, I, I, don't, I don't take those things too personally. Uh, I just assume that, I mean, I've been on sets where, you know, I could, I could see that the camera operator's shirt was dripping more wet. You know, um, I could tell by the timbre of the director's voice that he was nervous. And so the thing I think I've learned in my studies and certainly through therapy is that everybody's got something going on. And if I don't put myself at the center of everybody else's life, it's likely that, you know, other people have have their own story when they're on set. And and the, the, the best I can do is just show up and do the job I was hired to do and, and leave all the personality stuff at the gate because... Uh, it's not likely that I'll ever, I mean, and it is, it is likely that you'll end up working with, with the people down the line. So there's no reason to, um, you know, there's no reason to correct people or, or get into any kind of, uh, tiff or, or, you know, power struggles, uh, because everyone's got something. It's, it's, it can be a very tense situation and, uh, it's just best to be as professional as possible and, and let stuff go unless it gets physical. <laughs> if it gets physical, then you need to probably call the cops. Oh, yeah, exactly. So now now what roles, you know, as I look through this thing, there's some cop roles, there's some lawyer roles. What were the roles you were you were you would be called for a lot to audition for? I mean, what do you, are you across the board? And do you want, you know, do you haven't done a lot of comedy lately. Do you want to start doing comedy or... What what is what what kind um, of roles you do- know it's 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 funny because you in the city when they when they decide what you are uh, you sort of get called in for the same things initially yeah I got called in for cops and lawyers and doctors all the time and in the last I would say in the last two years that's been breaking up quite a bit. Uh, and but I would have to say that's because there's uh, less procedurals and more shows that are, you know, adventure series or they're supernatural or so. And, and I think black people are so so. There's a lot of owner operators, Ava DuVernay and and uh, and the Oprah axis, you know. So there's a lot more. 
were available of color, and Viola Davis has her own production company, and Viola Davis also was being brought in for nurses and assistants and, and, uh, and maids. I just think that there's more available to, to African Americans in the industry. Primarily in 95, uh, there were more procedurals, and so I was being... Um, I think now that there's more available in me as an actor, uh, I'm certainly uh, more interested in other roles. I, you know, I, I have a fantastic role on Snowfall, and um, it, it's a great story. So those those things are, are very exciting for somebody like me. How did the role Snowfall come? Was that did you go on an audition for that? And it's it is a great show, and it's on FX, which I think is always good because FX can FX gets to push the boundaries more than. A network, and I don't think a network, I mean a major network, I don't think a major network is going to do a show about how the drug trade rose up in, in you know, in L.A. back in the day. Right, um, right. When you saw that, was that something when you saw the, or you went for the audition, did you say, man, this is a killer role? Because it's a great role, and, and you play, you know, you know, you don't know what to think of you at first. You know, it's something that you play it well, and then, you know, you... You turn on the young guy. I'm not going to give anything away, people. Um, that was an early episode. But, but when you see a role like that, did you know, like, first off, like, like this is something I really want? And it's one of those things where you said, this is something I'm going to get. You know, uh, I, I really wanted the role. I didn't really get the magnitude of what they were doing. I just knew I liked her. And the one thing I also did in that audition, which I don't think I've ever done in an audition is I I just broke the scene I broke that scene for myself because because I I've known women like her and the way she was written was great I mean she was pretty terrifying on paper but I I just upped the ante and uh and I used a tremendous amount of vulgarity <laughs> in my audition so um and then asked later when I got the job, would I be able to use the word P-U-S-S-Y? Uh, and they said, probably one an episode. Um, I, I loved her, and, and, uh, and I loved what she evoked in me, um, her strength and her, her aggression and her intimidation. I loved that. And uh, when... Uh, I finally was up against a, a fantastic actress. Uh, when I saw her, I, my heart sank because I knew for sure it was her role. And, uh, and then I quickly, you know, moved that dark cloud out of my head and just went in and auditioned. And, um, and I got it. And uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, I mean, I, that other actress is, uh, she's the shit. <laughs> Now, now, what's it like when you get to go on a set? And because it's a uh, period piece, and you know, I was in college in the eighties, and I love the whole fashion and the music and everything. What's that like as as a as an actor when you get to go on and you're basically you're getting to play a role at such a cool time and a str a strong person in that cool time? Which to me, I still think the eighties is one of the best generations. What is that like as an actor? Is that something that you, it really makes you look forward to going to work and it makes you forward to looking to your wardrobe? And do they give you a say in your wardrobe? Or how does that work for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this situation was just like, it was like uh, somebody opened the, the biggest closet on the planet and uh, the costume designer and I went in and just walked through and talked and talked and talked and, and tried things on and played and told stories to each other and... I mean, it was it was a, a, such a fantastic collaboration, um, and we just really came up with who she is uh, in in terms of her clothing. Uh, I I always sort of envisioned her as a kind of uh, um, a funkadelic slash geisha, you know, uh, <laughs> a, super, a super fly slash you know. Uh, man serves men kind of thing. Um, and I think we kind of nod to it without being too overt or, you know, that time for a woman to own a building and to 
to run a business and uh, to to hold the power she had in her community, you know, she's she's not somebody to be uh, messed with. Um, and so, and the, and those 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 women definitely existed. They've existed for a very long time. So to place somebody at, at the height of her powers um, in the eighties and then have her dress in a very particular way uh, and and move in in a very in, in an empowered way uh, was I mean it's just really exciting for me. Now, how has people's um, reaction to the series been? The critics like it, but have people come up to you? Have people noticed you? Because it's still one of those shows that's catching on. And how has the African-American community acted to it? And how has the white community acted? Have you have you heard <laughs> anything about it? Because it is, the bottom line is, I didn't live in L.A. back then, but that epidemic affected everybody. And I think, yeah. you know, and a lot of people lost stuff from that. But have people, have you heard input or have people reached out to you and said, you know, well, this just is just like it was or this was a very hard time? Or how's, have you gotten any feedback that way? You know, it's interesting. I um, I I haven't really worked much in the last twelve years, so this is kind of a a a, a nice little entree back into my career. And so, what's come along in the last twelve years is social media. Uh, I don't know if people recognize me on this street from this show just yet. I don't. I've changed a lot. I think. Uh, but what I am seeing on social media, and mind you, I'm a newbie uh, for the Instagram and the Twitter, uh, but I was forced to get on there uh, by family members. And uh, <laughs> people are out of their minds. Yeah. Uh, people say things like, they can't stand me, Claudia. Uh, they think that Franklin should kill her. Uh, they can't stand that bitch. Uh, um, they don't trust her. I mean, people are very, um, have very strong, what feels like emotionally driven responses to her. And, uh, it's, it's hilarious to me because it's, um, it, it has nothing to do with me. So I, I get to be as detached from their point of view as, as you could ever possibly hope to be so it's amusing it's very funny and uh and it's encouraging because it means that i'm doing something good exactly if they if they if they want to kill your character it means you know what you're 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 pulling off a character pretty good now you said you were, <laughs> i mean that's just the truth it's like it's not like something you know I, I remember you used to hear stories like like when james garner used to always you know tv getting fights well he would be at bars and people would try to start a fight with him he's like i, I don't fight they go well, we saw you on tv and they think Oh, well, yeah, he wants to start a fight. So that means you're doing a good job. Now, right. Now, now, you said, you know, you've been away for, you know, 12 years. Now you're, you've came back with Snowfall. And so now once you've got on the show and it's, it's popular, how does that change your career? I mean, was there a reason why you left the business? And then when you came back, you booked something and you got on a series, which is shows it was the right time they came back. But how does, has that changed your room your, your, for casting gigs and stuff like that, for the casting rooms? Has that changed you that you're on a show that people are watching and it's a hip show, so you get the smart people watching it? Right. No, I don't know that it's changed anything in the rooms. I'm not quite sure that the industry is watching the show as much as the world is. Uh, and I, I think the show is, being, um, is doing really well. I think the show is doing very well. Uh, I think it's finding more of its audience as well because people are talking about it because they realize that it's it's you know it's got it's got a bunch of different layers. Um, I I took off from the industry for a minute because uh, I got frustrated playing cops, lawyers, and doctors, and I got caught up in the food movement and uh, took myself off to become a certified organic farmer, you know because. There's big money in that. And uh, once I realized how little money there actually is in farming, and it really, I didn't leave because there's no money in farming. I, I left because it's back-breaking back work, and uh, I'm no spring chicken. So, uh, But I did go to school to, to, uh, to learn a little bit more about the world and, and to get a, a social justice uh, badge. And um, once I got that, I felt like, this is strange, but I felt like I had something to say in my work. You know, I had a political bone and uh, in my body, and um, 
and I had a point of view in my work. Um, I, I, I know now, and I, I believe this to be true, that mm, f- food is, is the big civil rights movement of our time. And uh, it's, it is the, it's the weapon of choice right now. The guns uh, kill people, but the slow slaughter of people through food is, is, is the real big issue. Um, what we're dealing with in, uh, in this country and globally is, is resource grabbing. And that's, that's, that's the big thing that I learned uh, when I went off to school to learn agriculture. And uh, I just feel more politically astute. I don't feel like Washington politically astute. I just feel like I have a, a greater sense of what's really happening and what people, what the powers that be are really after. And uh, it is not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, uh, it's not what we think it is. Well, it's funny you talk about the food, talk about the food movement and uh, it's very important what we eat and, you know, the organics and stuff like that. But what, what made you look into that? I mean, what, was there something that sparked your interest? Because I know I wrote a, a cookbook a while ago about low-sodium cooking because oh. I, I had a heart condition. I was in the hospital with congestive heart failure five oh. years ago, and I knew that the, I had to change my diet. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be around. And so I was smart enough, and unfortunately, a lot of people aren't smart enough. They, they resist it. I said, I got to change this, and thank God my girlfriend is very healthy. And so, you know, there's no more junk food for Stephen. But that changed me on the way I look at food. What changed your view on the way that you looked at food and that you saw it is a problem? Because it is a huge epidemic that people don't admit to. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just a slow seduction away from nature. If, if I put it on the big scale, it's a slow seduction away from uh, clean water and clean air and fresh food, clean food, real food. And uh, food industry is trying to play mommy and daddy. And, uh, uh, and, and, and it's all under the guise of, of being um, good for us and convenient. Uh, but, but, you know, there's, there's just a massive increase in all kinds of modern diseases, uh, low birth rates and uh, um, all kinds of bad things are happening through food and it is being used as a weapon uh, and the pharmaceutical industry is in and on food production and um, uh, pesticide companies are in on food production I don't I don't necessarily blame the people so much as the seduction and the addiction the high level of addiction rate of, of these fake foods. And I got involved in it because I, I read Utney Magazine in the mid-80s. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, but they had a giant cover. They had a beautiful cover uh, that said, is Monsanto trying to t- uh, uh, own the rights to life? And that's a giant statement. I read that magazine, that article in 1983. And... Um, by the time I came back to the United States in the mid-90s, um, the labels for non-genetically engineered foods were pretty much gone. You couldn't buy soy products that said uh, non-GMO. Uh, so they started to ramp that um, production up. They started to ramp the production of genetically engineered foods and putting them into not only junk food or, or fast food, it's regular food, tomatoes and fish and apples and zucchini and squash and all kinds of things. So I got real hot into that. We had a, um, a proposition that was on the table here and it did very well. Uh, we didn't get it passed, but it did very well. And these companies were trying to sue entire states in order to get their food products pushed through. They didn't want to have to label the food. So I got very involved in that. And when we lost uh, the proposition, I was out of my mind. And I thought, I have to have some influence in this. And so I decided to become a farmer. And it was a great education. It was a, an amazing education. I learned so much, and I really learned a lot about social justice. I learned a lot about racism and food. Um, 
globally and locally. Uh, but my real calling is, is acting. And as I said before, it just deepened me as a performer. It deepened me as a black woman and it deepened me as an artist. Uh, I just felt like I had something more to say. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you're back because I really enjoy your words aren't about food. Um, I'm glad you're back because I enjoy so your work. You. Now, now, anything else coming Thanks. up? Anything else coming up after Snowfall? What, what what's going on for you? Well, there are lots of things that I am uh, in the process of working on, not personally, but um, through uh, other mediums. So I hesitate to say anything. Okay. Uh, so we'll just watch and see. Well, cool. Well, you know, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. First of all, I was glad because you, you actually you took the time to answer everybody who wrote on my thread um, about <laughs> Snowfall, which is awesome. And uh, they probably didn't know that you were, they didn't probably like, you know, I told my one friend, I said, you know, she liked her comment. You know, she's Claudia. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, it's it's cool like that. But uh, I'm, I'm glad we got in touch. And then thanks to Rose Abdu because Rose Abdu tagged in the post. And as I said, I've known Rose's husband, John since 1990 so now you oh. now, now you said you're doing are you are you doing twitter now you know what i'm on twitter but i kind of just check in to see what's being said about the show because it makes me laugh uh but twitter i i kind of don't get it uh but i will yeah you gotta I get just out there kind of don't get it well cool <laughs> well, i want to thank you for coming on and uh, people, look up Judith Scott's work, look her up, and look up Judith Scott Twitter and follow her on Twitter. And then you can send her a little message, and she'll look and make her laugh. That's what you need to do. And also, uh, if you're yeah. not watching Snowfall, please start watching it, people. It's a good show. And if you're an 80s guy like me, you know, you're going to dig it. It's just got a tie. It's just it's just that cool feel. And some, you know, like the one drug dealer is a little overboard, but that's what makes it great. And and we all knew people like that. And and these, you know, some people who are younger may look and go, oh, no one would act like that walking around in a sweatsuit, the, the one, the, the Israeli guy or whatever. It, but, yeah, the people were like that in the 80s, and that's what was great. <laughs> yeah, so, they were. So I want to thank you for coming. Coming on, Judith. Please, people, go look at her work. Go to her IMDb, Judith Scott, and uh, watch her past work. I'm Steve Cooper. Mosey Hip is my guest. Uh, this has been presented by Walk My Mind, and you guys have a wonderful day.